Hello, everyone. Um, we're going to be talking today about questions of theodicy. Why do uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do people uh, get uh, have have things befall them that uh, that aren't deserved? Um, so this uh, not comparable in any way to the things we're discussing, but uh, it, maybe it's somewhat fitting that uh, that just as I turned on my video, my computer decided to crash, uh, and we. Uh, uh, we had to we had to endure a five minute delay, so I apologize very much for that. Thank you all for your forbearance. Let's jump right into the uh, to the topic. Um, so, uh, as soon as yes, I'll uh, as soon as I'm share screen is enabled, we'll share the screen. Before that, um, we'll just uh, talk a bit about the uh, the topic at hand, the question of theodicy, or otherwise known as why do bad things happen to good people or within Jewish tradition, Tzadik Viralo, Rasha Vitovlo, um, why do people not get their just dessert? Some people uh, are, uh, some, some people who, de who uh, don't deserve to be punished get punished, some people who, who, who uh, don't deserve to be rewarded get rewarded. This is of course a, a long-standing question, not just in Judaism, but in all religion. Uh, to boil it down philosophically, there essentially are, the argument is that there are three factors that cannot really all coexist. Um, one is that God is all-knowing and all-capable. Uh, Second is that God is just. And third is that evil or, or, or unfair things or bad things exist in the world. Um, those, those three seem to not be compatible because if God knows everything and, is, and can control it and is fully just, then why does God allow evil to happen in the world? So that's the, that's the challenge of, of evil generally, the question of theodicy generally. We're going to be focusing not so much on the general question, but on its particular application here uh, today, the last few months with the coronavirus uh, uh, crisis, the world being thrown into this uh, massive, uh, massive health crisis, which in so many ways has been uh, so debilitating and so damaging for, for the world as a whole. And one of the things, one of the theological issues that comes up immediately is why would God do this? How could this happen? Uh, what's God's role here, and how do we how do we understand that? How can we we believe that God is is uh, just and all powerful, and how can that coexist with suffering in the world, and particularly the suffering we've seen over the past months? So we're going to look at several several different approaches, um, really two large scale approaches with many many uh, uh, subdivisions uh, as to how people have responded. There's a lot of material here. We could spend a lot more time on on probably any of the sources, but uh, the goal is to give a general survey and maybe uh, point to some trends. So before we get into the current moment, let's take a look at some classical traditional Jewish sources on theodicy, uh, and particularly in relation to disease. So uh, in Shmos, in two different places, there's a promise that if you listen to God's voice, you follow the whole Torah, God promises, I won't give you the, the diseases, that I gave the Egyptians, right? The among the ten plagues were uh, were plagues, were disease was disease, and you won't receive those if you follow the Torah. Or similarly, you serve God. God will bless your bread and water. And God will remove plague. So the argument goes: if you follow the Torah, you won't get sick. If you don't follow the Torah, then you might get sick, or maybe you will get sick. Uh, similarly, in Parshas Bichukosai known as the Tochacha, there's sort of a two-sided a two uh, promise. If you follow God's ways in the Torah, you'll have, you'll have uh, food, you'll, you'll be successful militarily, but if not, skipping, if you don't follow the Torah, if you reject the laws uh, and, and, uh, and, and break the covenant, then God will do the same, God will break the covenant as well, God will uh, appoint all these diseases upon you, and uh, and you won't be able to, to grow things. You'll lose militarily. But included among these is the promise of of uh, suffering uh, in a in from a health perspective if one doesn't follow the Torah. So there seems to be this is what we might call uh, a retributionist theodicy, understanding of why do bad things happen to good people. The answer is they're not really good people. If uh, if something evil happens to someone, it must be they made they 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 erred, they sinned, and that it, that accounts for the the punishment that they receive. Uh, so that's that's going to be that's going to frame one of the general 
uh, approaches that we have here. And there's much, much material within Jewish tradition that takes this approach. If you're punished, it's for a reason. It's because you sinned. So that would say there's there, essentially, how can there be evil if God is all powerful uh, and, and just? And the answer is, it's not really evil. The, the suffering that's in, that exists is because it's deserved. It's because people sinned. We see this expressed in uh, the, the, the Nusach of Musaf. Why were we exiled from the land of Israel, lost the base Hamikdash, etc.? It's because of, of sin, because of our sins. There, again, are many Gemaras where this is assumed. Maybe the clearest place where this issue comes up is the Gemara in Shabbos, where there's a machlokas, there's a debate about the following proposition, whether we say, Ein Misa below Chet, the Ein Yisurin below Avon. There's no death without sin, and there's no suffering without, uh, without a violation, meaning anyone who dies, uh, meaning everyone, uh, and anyone and anyone who suffers, there's a specific direct cause, which is a sin that they committed. So that's that's Rabbi Ami's view. There's a lengthy sugi here, goes into it, tries to prove the proposition, it brings counterexamples from stories from Sukkim. At the end, the Gemara seems to conclude there, actually not like this proposition. It seems to uh, to conclude there are a few people who never sinned and they died. Yesh misa below chet, it must be one can die without sinning. Vyesh yisurin below avon, and there can also be suffering without sin. That was also proven. This proposition of Ami is disproven. So even though this is a widespread view throughout Tanakh, throughout Chazal, it's also a matter of dispute. And here is one case where it's where it's rejected. Um, but it's again, it's the it's sort of the default assumption. The whole sugyo is working on that uh, assumption that that uh, there can only be death or suffering if there is a sin. It's always going to be deserved. And the conclusion is. Uh, maybe not. Is it seems to be we reject that idea. Um, other Gemaras also seem to start with uh, that assumption. There are other ways of dealing with it. One way of of explaining how there is evil in the world uh, and how it's and uh, how that can can be consistent with a, a just God or what appears to be evil in the world. And the Rav Yaakov says, "Schar mitzvah alma There's no reward for commandments in this world. So if it seems like someone's suffering in this world, it could be. But in the larger picture, if you take into account the world to come, olam they'll be rewarded much more in the world to come. So actually it's better to suffer in this world because big picture, you get a more valuable uh, compensation in the world to come. So that's another way of, of solving the problem, but that can, that, uh, that uh, maintains a retributionist ideology, right? If someone, if someone, presumably, um, if someone's sinning, there's, they, you know, they, if someone uh, is suffering, presumably there's some sin, there's some avera that they did, they're getting t- taken care of now to get more reward later or something in that, in that direction. A Gemara in Brachos has a slightly different, or it builds on this, but it goes in a slightly different direction as well. Source number seven here, in Roa Adam, she's certain by an A person uh, feels that they are beginning to suffer, so what should they do? They should examine their actions. Um, if you examine your actions, don't find anything you're doing wrong. You should say, you should hang it, uh, or, you know, uh, you know, say, oh, you know, chalk it up. To Bittal Torah, you're not learning enough Torah, and that's why you're suffering. And then what if that also doesn't work? You examine your ways and don't find the sin. There's this new category of Yisrin Shal Ava, suffering of love. That's not deserved, actually, but that somehow give, uh, relates to one's, uh, God's love for a person and one's closeness to God. So this seems to, we'll talk about this more later, this Gemara, but um, the, the starting assumption sounds like it, there's a correlation between sin and suffering, although there is this category, it sounds like it's not so common, of Yisurin Shalava, where people su- uh, suffer despite not having sin. Let's take a look at a couple of other uh, or traditional sources. Um, the, the Mishnah and Gemara and Sanhedrin talk about how one who denies the, the, uh, the revival of the dead, doesn't themselves get revived. And, um, right, you don't believe in in revivification of the dead, you won't be revived yourself. Why? All of God's actions are measure for measure. You do something wrong in a certain way, God will punish you in kind in a similar way. So that's a relevant point as well, that maybe um, that this, this uh, retributionist view is that whatever suffering we endure in this world will correlate, will be similar to the sin that we, that we did. And one final source that will be relevant um, is a question of, of uh, universalism versus uh, a, a particularism, meaning the Jewish people versus the rest of the world, how that plays itself out. And uh, Rabbi Lazar says, based on the bracha with Avram, all nations of the earth, all families of the earth will be blessed through you, Avram. What does that mean? 
find it's, it's sort of an integration of different outside families. But the, and then he says, all nation, all nations, even the families in the, in the of the ground, are only blessed because of Yisrael. Called Yisrael, and then uh, I think it's cut off. The the next line is all suffering in the world, any tsara in the world is also only Bishvili Yisrael. So if there's any suffering worldwide, it's because of the Jewish people. Rashi explains Bishvili Yisrael The goal is that uh, God brings suffering upon people in the world at large in order that the Jews will repent. So these are some 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 uh, classical sources, mostly from from uh, Tanakh and the Gemara, and there are many more that can be multiplied that point to this idea that there's a correlation between uh, between sin and punishment. Both the very fact that every sin assumes or entails, uh, uh, sorry, every punishment entails a sin, a prior sin, generally with some minor exceptions, and that there's some correlation, some similarity between the suffering and the sin. And we'll see many many responses that people have had. Uh, within the Jewish tradition, to coronavirus have been have been within that ideology. Have been saying, well, we're, we're all suffering. There must be a related sin, and let's try to figure out what that sin is and how it correlates. So, give one example uh, of Elia Bear Wachsbogel, you know, a senior mashkiach uh, and thinker in in the Haredi world. So he he gave a speech. This is transcribed and it's in yeshivish. Um, so we'll, we'll read it selectively. But uh, the coronavirus magefa and the internet, right? This this pandemic. And its relationship to the internet, and he points out this: the pandemic is, you know, is is uh, on a scale we've never seen. That at least from the a Jewish perspective, all Jewish institutions, all the yeshivas, all the shuls have been shut down all at once, and that's unprecedented. And that actually correlates to the sins that that uh, he believes preceded it. The sins in our generation, because of the internet, Lashon Hara can be spread much more bro uh, broadly, much more widely. And Gilu uh, Arayos uh, on the internet, as he puts it, can be spread much more widely. So it's mida connected mida. It's measure for measure. God always punishes in kind. And the same, same here. Um, that uh, the, you know, the sins, sins we uh, people are doing are based on the internet, on on spreading things broadly, on globalization. And this disease, due to globalization, will shut down everything so quickly. And then he has an added angle that uh, there are people who are less affected but are carriers. So uh, that's true. Uh, in terms of on the health side, young people are not so affected from a health perspective, but are carriers. And uh, he says uh, the flip side is true on, about the internet, that older people are less affected by the dangers of the internet, but they spread it to their children. So that's one example of, of, of someone trying to find the mida connected mida, a, a correlation between the sin and the punishment. Um, this, uh, this article by uh, Rifka Lambert-Adler collects a whole bunch of, of these... Uh, attempts at explaining what the what the pandemic is about. Keep in mind, this is from mid-March, so the extent of the suffering wasn't yet felt um, e either in Israel or certainly in America to the, to the extent that it was a few weeks later. But there's a survey here of a few different approaches that people have have uh, have offered to explain why it's Mida Kenegad Mida, right? Mendel Kessin says, well, why is it primarily in China, Iran, and Italy, which was true at the time, the impact was the greatest there. And it's Mida Kenegad Mida because you know, uh, China and Iran are supporting bad things, and Italy correlates with Christianity, which you know has done not great things to the Jews in the past. So that's that's his theory. Another another theory, uh, Rabbi Alon Anava, is that uh, it's supposed to break our dependence on materialism. We're too materialistic, and uh, and uh, and the the pandemic shutting down everything will move us away from materialism. Or Right, Laser Brody says it'll end public desecrations of Shabbos. And you know, again, these are just examples. There are multiple people who point to to each of these as well. Um, or Rainaf Gahana says it's a wake-up experience for Jews in in diaspora. Um, you know, the that Jews in Galus are 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 challenged, and now they can't go to Israel, even though they usually could. That's a, a wake-up call that we should realize we should all go to Israel and and move there. Um, or maybe it's it's a it's a catalyst for Mashiach. Or maybe it's a function of the fact that the uh, that uh, we're not we're not properly uh, we're not sufficiently uh, focusing on the base of mikdash on rebuilding the temple. We're not going up on the higher bias. Uh, we're not rebuilding the mikdash. Maybe that's the problem. In fact, uh, on this last point, Rav, Rav Yisrael Ariel, the head of the of the uh, mikdash institute, um, he gave a whole article about kol hamagefot ba'avar kizanachnu atamikdash. 
he goes through all of Tanakh and he says he you know yes has arguments that, that could be uh, disputed and actually were uh, in a response article by Rayetzi Blau, but he argues that all pandemics, all biblical pandemics are a function of not focusing enough on the Mikdash, on the temple, and that's why we're suffering as well. So there really is, is a whole litany of approaches uh, of different people pointing to different sins and saying this is this is why uh, things have, have uh, fell out the way they, they have, and they, they try to find the Midah They say, ah, you know, now we can't go to Israel, so it must be we're not going to Israel enough. Or you know, you look in Tanakh and you you find a pattern uh, or whatnot. But these are all arguments uh, to find to find what what the sin is, because obviously the pandemic is a response to a sin. We need to figure out what that sin is and and fix it. Um, Rav Tau, uh, part of the Chardal, the right wing Datilumi world, he argues people behave like animals. That's why we get this animal disease coronavirus, which, you know, of course, uh, didn't, didn't affect humans until just a few months ago. It's because our culture, the culture of uh, postmodernism um, with iPhones uh, and, uh, you know, improper videos and improper organizations and whatnot, um, you know, that's like animal, that we're functioning like animals, and that's why coronavirus is able to affect us. And also postmodernism affects uh, nationalism. There's not enough nationalism in Israel, etc. So again, yet, yet another approach. While most of these have been thinkers in the, uh, at least partially in the Haredi world, it's not exclusively so. Um, one example, right, Benjamin Blech in the YU world, he has an article where uh, he talks about God and the coronavirus, and he says, uh, maybe this is like a big timeout, right? It's like putting a kid in timeout uh, when they're not behaving well. So coronavirus is maybe just be a big, a big timeout. And of course, we can give naturalistic explanations. We can say it's based on disease. And of course, we should take all the health uh, precautions. But he says, I think we need, a, we need to think about this as God punishing us. And what's it based on? So he, he suggests that it's based on the Aserus Adibros. Why? Ten, the Ten Commandments have 620 letters. The word Keser, Keter, uh, crown, corona, is uh, the gematria that is 620 so that's uh that's the problem we're we're, we're neglecting the 10 commandments and uh, of course the crown is also a symbol of of god in the world so that's that's the the failure on a on a global level um to follow the 10 commandments so there's again th this could be multiplied we could we could go we could probably uh, spend a dozen hours going through reading through all the different proclamations as to what the cause is. The point is that a few, a few things, they're wide ranging. People point to a lot of different things. People try to find some pattern, some connection to coronavirus and the way it's gone about or the gematria or whatnot. Um, and, um, and one more point, which we'll see in a bit is that very often it's either a person's, uh, you know, whoever's expressing this view, it's either something that they've been saying for a long time, right? Someone says, we're not giving enough attention to the mikdash for many, many years. And now there's a pandemic. Ah, it's because we're not giving enough attention to the mikdash. Or it's sometimes people, um, you know, uh, pointing at others, uh, wh whether uh, the, you know they're they're those those who they think are not observant enough or not properly observant, and saying, ah, this is what you're doing wrong. It's very often outwardly expressed, although not always. So hold that thought. Um, one way of looking at this is not only in uh, in rabbinic statements, but also pashkvilin. Pashkvilin are these little pamphlets that are put up in. Uh, in, uh, in Mea Sharm and other Haredi communities, or sometimes even as posters. So these Pashkavils, these little these uh, little pamphlets put up, they point to different issues. So one, the couple we haven't mentioned yet, one is Lashon Hara, which has been getting uh, a lot of attention here. Lo midabrim, lo nidbakim. You don't speak Lashon Hara, you, don't get, uh, you won't get infected, because the, the logic there is, as some have pointed out, the idea of quarantine, and especially quarantine for 14 days, um, that correlates with some of the laws of the Mitzorah, of the leper in the Torah, and uh, that's not a coincidence. It must be, it must be that there's a connection here, that, uh, that uh, you know, and, and social distancing. So if you're not acting properly socially, you're, you're speaking Lashon Hara, that's what leads to coronavirus, so we should avoid coronavirus and thereby avoid getting, uh, getting infected. Uh, another cause, this also on many different Pashkavilan, I think there are three here that express this, is Sneas, and particularly women's Sneas women aren't aren't uh, dressing right. They have uh, uh, right. They have long shaitluin. They have long shaitels, long hair. That's not appropriate. It should only be short shaitels. Or some people don't like shaitels at all. Um, or big peot. Uh, uh, right. Any any sort of uh, shaitel head covering that's not a hat that looks like hair is not appropriate. Or bigadim smudim tight clothes. Um, are these are attacked? Uh, these are attacked in these pashtgilin, and they're they're said to be the reason for coronavirus. This this uh, this one over here says a terrifying discovery. The plague of corona equals lack of tznius. Magifa corona equals shaveh choser tzniyut. They both equal 900. 
So please be strict with modesty, etc. So you know that's uh, these these uh, you know the, these posters don't necessarily you don't necessarily read about them on the internet usually, but unless someone highlights them, but they of course have a real impact on on the culture of those reading it that pushes people to uh, to change their their behavior to I guess uh, you know be, be observant in a, in a different way in what's seen as a more observant way to to avoid the plague. Um, not only, of course, through Pashkvist, through other media, through WhatsApp messages. I actually had a chance, someone forward this to me, I listened to it. Um, that uh, this is from, from Lakewood. Those Pashkvist were, were in Eretz Israel and Israel. This is from Lakewood. Rabbi Matisio Solomon urges the women of Lakewood um, to take upon themselves upgrading their shaitals, short, you know, making it a shorter length. And uh, it's, an unprecedented, uh, it's an unprecedented plague. So the response needs to be unprecedented. And uh, you know, that will lead to an extra shmir. That will protect you if you if you uh, shorten your shaitel. So that's, that's a survey of some of the approaches, both in rabbinic, uh, rabbinic uh, speech and uh, writing and Pashkaville. One, uh, one other theme that, uh, that sort of is a little bit different, instead of focusing on other people, usually saying, you know, so-and-so did something wrong, that's why this happened. And this is not, it's not new that people are using that line of argument here with coronavirus. You know, there's a whole litany of arguments as to why the Holocaust happened. Um, which uh, often involving blaming other people. We'll see, uh, Rav Avinar will cite that later. So th it's, uh, there's, there's a, long, a long-standing tradition of doing that. Uh, I think all, there's also a long-standing tradition of people finding it distasteful, as we'll see in a bit, but this builds on that tradition. They, I think uh, there's a, a theme that's slightly different that, that sort of takes a, a somewhat countervailing angle along the same lines. It's still a retro, it'll still be uh, under the assumption that, that we can identify a sin and, and try to fix it, but it's about, it's not focusing on other people as much as it's focusing inwards. And this goes back to the Gemara we saw about any suffering in the world is Bishvili Yisrael. All suffering in the world is because of Israel. So this was expressed just uh, a few months ago in February before the, before coronavirus really hit Israel, but while it was still uh, important, an important uh, uh, threat in the world. So Rav, uh, Rav Gershon Edelstein, the one of the uh, main gedolim in the Haredi world, he said, he quotes the Gemara that we saw before. Uh, suffering like enters the world because of Israel. Everything comes from God. God is controlling this. We'll be, you know, we, there's no reason to fear. You expressed at that point. What do we have to do? We have to strengthen our faith. But what's, what's relevant, I think, what's interesting here is that he turns it inwardly, right? There's suffering in the world. We should assume it's us. It's us in the from, in the from community that are the cause. And we need to become more observant and, and more from in order to save the rest of the world. And this is not, again, he's not the first, uh, Rav Edelstein is not the first to do this. There's a long-standing tradition of plagues, worldwide plagues that don't affect Israel at all. And, uh, you know, Haredi Gdolim saying it's because of us, we need to, we need to improve our, our actions in order to avert the plague. Rav Edelstein has a, a, a related point uh, that, that he made, you know, more recently that I think is really, uh, well, first, um, yeah, first, uh, just uh, another source number 19 as well points to this idea. Um, everything, we're sort of giving, giving a nice overview. Everything happens, everything in the world happens from God. It's all from God. And, and, all suffering is because of the, the Jews. Any disease, suffering, or poverty. In order to scare uh, the Jewish people into acting better to avert to avert the plague um so fine that's that's so that's that view now the related view of rav, Ger rav edelstein very interesting is is the following in sources 20 and 21 here um where he this is a, a couple of months later after coronavirus hit hit the world hit the, you know israel too and america too and uh disproportionately hit the haredi world as we know in basically everywhere in new york in paris in England, in Israel, especially in Israel, the uh, among those who died, there was a disproportionate uh, percentage of Haredim who died, and the the attempt was made by Rav Edelstein to justify this. So here's what he said, and there's a recording of this. Um, he said that uh, to the um, uh, has, he gave a hasber the shiur aniftarim hagavoa b'migzara Haredim. Why in the Haredi sector is there such a high ratio of those who died? Biachas the klal uchlusia. So he said. Uh, yes, he said that he said the following. Why? 
שהחילונים שלא חזרו בתשובה, הם תינוקות שנשבו ולא השמים. This is an important view of the Chazunish that has broad application that those who were not raised in an observant household are not fully accountable for not following the Torah. And there are all sorts of ramifications of that. This is a new ramification to my knowledge that Rav Edelstein suggested, since if you weren't raised observant, you can't be fully blamed for not following the Torah. Do not have that excuse. That's why Haredim were punished more because you know, we're, we've all failed in following the Torah. Everyone fails to some degree or other. But if you're not that, if you're not Haredi, if you're not uh, really from, then then it's not really your fault. You weren't raised properly, so you can't be fully blamed. So you'll only be punished a little bit. The, the coronavirus only hurt you partially. Whereas Haredim, since the expectations are higher, uh, those who you know those who fail are actually more can be punished more uh, to a greater degree. So again, this is another way of turning it. Turning the plague, it, it, turning inwardly instead of saying other people are to blame, saying we, our community, is to blame, um, which is what Rabbi Edelstein does there. And again, I, I think this is a, a novel, a novel theological point, a novel application of that Chazonish about Tinok Shanishba. Obviously, one can object to it for a variety of reasons, um, but it's an interesting idea, and it's it's uh, it's not weaponizing this idea of of uh, of uh, retributionism. It's using it to try to inspire. And uh, there's a written version that's uh, that's that's similar that we're not going to read inside. So that you know that's that's the the extent of our survey of approaches of uh, retributionist approaches, right? Everyone finds some correlation between what happened and the punishment, and some try to more you know you blame it on other people, and some turn inwardly and say we need to think about it because it's probably our community's fault. Now related to this, it's not exactly the same point, but if if uh, if the retributionist theory assumes that improper, improper practices, not following the Torah properly, is what led to God creating the pandemic, there's sort of on the flip side, the way of remedying the pandemic, one might argue, is to take certain actions. Now, you know, everyone, everyone would say that one should follow the Torah and you know, learn Torah and, uh, and uh, keep the mitzvot. That's not surprising, but sometimes you find surprising uh, theories as to what will remedy the pandemic, and I call it theurgic remedies or schoolos. So theurgy is trying to get God to do something by, by taking certain actions, sort of forcing God's hand or helping God's hand in a certain direction. Uh, Skula is uh, usually means something is uh, you know, sort of has a special aspect to it. So if you do certain things, they'll, it'll, it'll help you uh, spe get special treatment and help you be saved. And there's a whole host of schoolos that have come up in, uh, in the recent months. I'll just give a few examples. One came up in the Israeli election. Shas very often uh, uses religious themes to, uh, to help people, uh, put, push people to voting for them. So here, if you see the, they, they had these little uh, ballot card holders that they gave out on election day. So this is protection from the plague, Corona and any other bad things. Pinchas prayed, stopped the pandemic. So we can also stop the pandemic if we just vote for Shas. Now, uh, the Central Elections Committee wasn't so happy about this. They sued, uh, they sued, they fined Shas for this because uh, you're apparently not allowed to make religious promises in return for voting. This violated that, that, uh, that rule. But this is an example of, of a skula. You vote, vote for us, you'll be protected from the plague. There's a whole bunch of, of, of other schools we're going to look at quickly. Just you know, just to get a, a selection, a cross section, we're going to focus on several that were endorsed or allegedly endorsed by Rav Chaim Kanievsky, who again, alongside Rav Gershon Edelstein, is seen as the Gadol Ador, is seen as the great leader in the Haredi world. And um, very often, people will go to him with a, an attempted school to try to get him to sign off on on the school. So we'll look at several and sort of trace it over time. So early in Adar, um, early on in Adar, hold on one second. There, this was going around. Um, uh, widely, you know, I, I know I saw people were sending it around in America as well uh, as in Israel. And uh, here's just the written, the typed form. This is before anyone had it. It's before in, in, in Israel or even in, in America much. So how do you stay, how do you not get sick? We saw this before. Stay away from Lashon Hara. Why? Right, if you if you speak Lashonara, you get uh, isolation. You put in isolation, and this also leads to isolation. So if you avoid Lashonara, you won't you won't get coronavirus. That's number one. Number number two. 
to increase one's uh, humility. to give in on things. That's number two. Um, and uh, and he says, if you if you if you keep these two things, your whole household won't get sick if you presumably the let's say the father of the household is careful about these things from Rav Chaim Kineski. So that was a skula that was offered in early Adar. Then we move a few weeks later to late Adar, another skula that was offered, again, typed up here. Um, he quotes the Gemara, and we were wasting a lot of Torah study time. We have to learn as much Torah as possible in order to be saved from these things. Um, and he says, this is when they were organizing on Erev Rosh Chodesh Nisan, a, a prayer day. So this, uh, and the day of fasting and prayer, to fast half a day, special Erev Rosh Chodesh prayers called Yom Kippur Katan. Um, and the main part of the fast is the prayer, and that should work um, fine. And right, and he gives some details of how to do the fast. So that's a second set of, of uh, schools, learning Torah and uh, and. Uh, and uh, fasting and praying. And of course, here he ties it together, right? He says the reason for the plague is insufficient learning. The way to solve it is to do more learning, right? Those don't have to correlate, but they often do. Let's take a look at a couple more uh, uh, expressions from Rokhain Kanievsky, now in late Shvat. A bit later, someone um, someone uh, asked him, what should you do to get a refuah shalema? So, gvarim men should learn a new a new area of Torah, and kachim zraim taros, a non-standard area of learning. That's for men and for women. Nashim shispalu mariv. Women should daven mariv. Commit to davening mariv for the rest of their lives uh, as a as a chumrah. He's, he's presuming they don't need to generally, and that should be that should be uh, a school that should help. And yet another schoola, and this you have to be a little skeptical about because it was publicized by an organization that supports writing Sifrei Torah. But apparently, Rokhanevsky said writing a Sefer Torah is a schoola as well in the current moment. And then finally. Um, this and this has been written about uh, maybe even a bit more. The claim, uh, the claim that giving tzedakah to Kupat Ha'ir, which is a, a tzedakah organization uh, organized by those, you give tzedakah, if you give at least three thousand shekel, eight hundred and so dollars, then you will enjoy immunity from the coronavirus. That was promised broadly, and uh, someone asked, "Can I give less?" They say, "No, three thousand shekel minimum if you want to be protected, protected from coronavirus." This builds on um, from a few a few months ago. They uh, they they were pushing this uh, giving to Kupata ear as a way of of being protected from disease in general before the pandemic. So now with the pandemic, that's uh, even more reason for them to to push supporting Kupata ear. So that's Staka, not just Staka. Staka specifically for the organization associated with Rukhan Kanevsky is yet another skula for being protected from coronavirus. Now, there's reason to be skeptical about a lot of this. Um, just an interview with Rav, uh, Rav Shlomo Kanievsky, Rav Chaim Kanievsky's son, where he essentially says, uh, you know, the headline sort of gives it away, Avim is al skulos. My father doesn't believe in doing miracles. He is not looking for schools, for, for shortcuts, for tricks as to how to stay safe from, from coronavirus or other things. He was always into learning Torah and then following the Torah, not into all these shortcuts. So it's, it's sort of interesting that within one, one person coming out of, you know, in the name of one person, you find such a wide range of number one, schoolos of various sorts, and number two, uh, opposition to schoolos. So it's hard to know for sure. There's been some writing recently about to what extent Rav uh, Chaim Kanievsky actually controls what comes out in his name, and his grandson is apparently uh, pulling a lot of the strings. But these are the, the statements that come out in, in the Haredi world and uh, you know, are very, very much influential are ways of trying to explain and uh, and respond uh, to to coronavirus. Um, so I, I see people are asking some questions. Um, we're gonna uh, just uh, we're gonna we're not gonna really have time to get into them in depth. One question was how do rabbis deal with the reality when someone dies or is sick uh, despite following the schoola? I I don't know. I haven't seen much literature on that. Presumably they would say you didn't do it right, um, or something else was wrong, or maybe they would say some schools are not foolproof. Um, we'll see later, one of the sources says that uh, in a time of a pandemic, even if you're not meant to die at, at time A, you're meant to die at time B, you can still die. So you have to be extra careful. Um, in any event, we're going to, you know, we're, we're still on approach number one. So we're going to see some other approaches in a couple of minutes. One variation of this approach 
is not to say necessarily why it happened, but there's a way of sort of watering it down or weakening the claim to say, we're not, I'm not telling you why this happened. I'm telling you what lessons we can learn from this. So it's not a full theodicy. It's not a full explanation. It's an attempt to respond and to gain from it, which we'll see will overlap a bit with the second approach. Um, just to give one example, um, we'll give one example where Rabbi Waxman from Muncie uh, said that there's way too much materialism in the firm community. And, uh, and that's why, that's, that, and, and uh, that's one thing we should keep in mind is as, as we're not now not having fancy weddings and not, so to speak, wasting money on all these different things, we should think about how our community might be able to embrace that sort of lifestyle going forward. Uh, instead of wasting things, it's a, a really fascinating, you know, and more broadly as just a critique of the, uh, the entrance, entry of all sorts of unnecessary products and uh, religious activities that are, are sort of meaningless or, or made up, kiddushim, et cetera, into the firm community, a really critique of, of late capitalism worth thinking about in another context. But for our purposes, the goal, the, 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 it's worth noting that this is not stated explicitly as the reason for coronavirus, it's more the way that we, something to keep in mind as we move past it or a lesson we can learn. Similarly, Rav Asher Weiss, again, he says, I can't, I don't know why. Lo navi lo ben navi, lo nuchaladas Hashem. We don't know why Hashem did this. He quotes the Ramah, which we're going to see in a minute. But he says, I've always wondered what, what we say in Shema. Everyone will accept your uh, kingship, God. Well, how is that going to work? We have such a large world. People are all doing different things. How's everyone going to accept God in the world? And he, he says, well, maybe, th maybe coronavirus has something to do with that. He quotes the Medrash about, uh, about uh, the Emperor Titus, that um, he said, you know, I, he basically claimed to have defeated God and it be, to be impervious to any response. And God says, Russia ben Russia ben Venosh Asa Russia, Beria Kali Yeshli Ba'olami Vitushma, I have this tiny thing called a mosquito, the Alei Abasha Vetase Ima Mochama. You're going to fight a war with a mosquito and lose with this tiny creature. And he says, here, maybe it's a similar thing. Maybe there's a little too much hubris in Western society that we think science has defeated everything. And now um, there's this Beria Kali Yeshli Ba'olami, and it's called a virus. We have, there's this tiny creature, even smaller than a mosquito called a virus and now you're gonna have to fight the virus and and see how well you do and again he's not saying that's why it happened but he's trying to give an insight he's trying to say maybe uh at least something that can be gleaned from this is uh is a way of backing off of the hubris of scientism the idea that science can explain everything can solve everything well maybe we should take a step back from that maybe this is god sending us a message but again i, I think it's a semi-theodicy he's not he's not fully saying this is why it happened he's saying this is something maybe we can learn from the fact that that things developed in the way they did. All of this is under approach number one, um, that's a retrib uh, retributionist theology. Now, that, that, that means that, meaning that uh, anytime there's someone suffering, someone dies, you can directly point to the sin that led to it, uh, to one degree or another. The other approach we're going to see, I, I called a responsivist theodicy, meaning it's less trying to understand why things happen and more looking at how we're supposed to respond to it. That's the, pr the primary approach. And um, this, to some degree, comes out of the Gemara we saw earlier, that uh, if one is in crisis, if one is suffering, the first thing to do is look at your actions and try to improve your actions. The second thing to do is try to you know, see if, if you're wasting Torah learning time and improve that. And there's a couple ways of understanding that. One way of understanding that, as we have until now, is that you can always point to the sin that led to your suffering. But the other way of, of understanding it is what we're going to see now, based on the Rambam and, and Rabbi Soloveitchik, is not that that explains why you're suffering, but that that's just the proper response. The proper response to suffering is self-evaluation, uh, self self-criticism, self-improvement. And the Rambam here, Mitzvah Asem in Torah, Lizogla There's a positive commandment to uh, blow shofar and to cry out to God anytime there's a crisis, etc., um, and he continues, This is an aspect of Tshuva. When a crisis comes about, people cry. Everyone should know, uh, and it's not exactly clear what he means by know, we'll get to that. Everyone should know it's because of their evil actions. Your sins uh, pushed you the wrong way. And the goal of this is for them to, to repent and to remove the tsara to remove the crisis. Aval im lo yizaku v'lo yariu. If they don't call out and cry, el yom redavers emi minaga olam irulan. And we say this is just nature. Nature taking its course. God has nothing to do with it. If it's tsarzu nikro nikres, it's a coincidence. 
He says, This is an evil path that causes them to end up staying uh, tied to their evil actions, right? They won't, they won't, they won't do shuba, they won't fix, they won't, they won't fix their actions, they won't repent if they think everything is just natural. with more problems, um, and that's that's a terrible uh, path to go. So if you look if you look closely at the Rambam, you could read the Rambam as a retributionist, right? The, you sin, God's punishing you, you need to fix the sin in order to stop being punished. However, that's not the way that Rabbi Soloveitchik and his students uh, have read this Rambam. They read it as there's no necessary connection. The reason why you need to do tshuva is because if you don't, you'll continue making the same mistakes. We don't necessarily know that, you, that the sins that people are doing, the mistakes people are making, are what caused this. But what we do know is that the proper response to a crisis is self-reflection and self-improvement. So we'll see, we'll see a couple of places where Rabbi Soloveitchik uh, points this out. First, he, he writes, uh, this is posthumous writing, um, about responding to evil. The top of the halacha cannot accept the thematic metaphysic, which tends to gloss over the absurdity of evil. We can't say, as and this is sort of an oblique reference to Christianity, I think, some religions say, okay, you know, you think it's evil, it's not really evil. You know, what you think is evil is not so bad. No, that's not how halacha works. The topic of the topical halacha is an open-eyed, tough observer of things and events. So, and he's not, doesn't uh, engage in a speculative metaphysic, doesn't try to say, ah, is it really evil or not? No, we boldly acknowledge both the reality of evil and its absurdity and how problematic it is. And that's, you know, so we have to fight evil where we can. Um, and, uh, and he says, this is an important line, the topical halacha has evolved an ethic of suffering instead of a metaphysic of suffering. Meaning suffering or crisis doesn't lead us to metaphysics, to philosophizing over why it happened. That's not the Jewish way. Uh, according to Rabbi Salvechuk, the Jewish way is to have an ethic of suffering, ethic of meaning how to act, meaning we are now suffering. We're now in a crisis. Let's not think about why this happened. That's not so important. The way to, res the way to respond is to think about what we should be doing. We should be th thinking about what the ethic of suffering is, what we do next, rather than the metaphysic of suffering. And what we should do really usually is two different things. Number one, when relevant, is to fight against evil. If we're talking about evil perpetrated by people, human, a human evil, then we need to fight against that evil and try to stop it. Um, or even you could say in, in, a, in, a, in the case of a disease, we need to fight the evil, fight the disease, do what we can to keep people safe. That's one response. And the additional response is to focus on, on uh, religious action, on tshuva, on, on Torah study, on, on, on improving our actions generally as a response. But this is not to explain why the evil happened. We don't do metaphysics. We don't try to say, yes, we did this aver and that aver, and that's why we're suffering. We say, we don't, you know, we can't answer the question of why this happened. But what we can do is improve our actions, improve our way going forward. In Kodo Dido Fake, uh, uh, famously, the, uh, the Rav makes this point as well. We'll read just a key paragraph here. The fundamental question is, what obligation does suffering impose upon man? We do not inquire about the hidden ways of the Almighty. We can't know that, maybe. That's building on uh, Rambam's negative theology. But rather about the path wherein man shall walk when suffering strikes. We can't control or understand what God did, we can control what we do. We ask neither about the cause of evil nor about its purpose, but rather about how it might be mended and elevated. How do we take this suffering and elevate it, make it useful, make it lead to something positive? That's how, how shall a person act in a time of trouble? That's the proper response according to uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik. His student and son-in-law, right, Aaron Lichtenstein, uh, took a similar approach. Um, with a couple of, of, of uh, small or a couple of differences along the way. One, he, he critiques very strongly this idea of searching for shallow and false answers when understanding why something happens. Um, right, and he says, so what do you do with all the Gemaras? This is sort of the implicit question, right? We saw Gemaras and long-standing Jewish tradition that seems to do that. So Rav Luchasin explains, those are questions for Chazal, who spoke in terms of some kind of general correlation rather than with reference to directly retributive causal nexus to deal with not people like us. So number one, Chazal don't give such specific answers of, you know, this sin particularly correlates to this punishment, number one. And number two, that's for Chazal. We're not on that level to be poking our noses into the why. We have no business making those explanations. Uh, he quotes the line about uh, Bilam, uh, who tried to understand God, and the line was, you know, the Gemara says he couldn't even understand his donkey. How does he pretend to understand God? And we, we have to think of ourselves similarly. We shouldn't pretend to understand God's ways. And, uh, and again, he paraphrases the Rav here. Uh, Judaism has not confronted suffering primarily as a speculative matter to think about why it happened. Rather, it relates to it as an existential and experiential reality. It's something that we're now experiencing, and you have to deal with it pragmatically and normatively. How do I 
practically deal with this to minimize the evil? How do I deal with this normatively? How do I follow the proper halachas to grow religiously in this situation? Um, and right, and, and also, Rabbi uh, Lichtenstein casts this as part of one's broader relationship to God. And the key is acceptance. Accepting that this happened to me and not being in denial about it, fighting it if necessary, if relevant. But um, acceptance is important instead of, instead of, uh, instead of questioning God. Um, and certainly, he, he makes the point in here and in a few other places that we, we may say, we may say, because of our sins, we're being punished. We should make sure never to say, because of your sins, we're being punished. Not to, not to throw the suffering, throw the reason for the suffering on other people. That would seem to be very much immoral. So with this background, we see uh, there are some on this basis who have come out against the retributionist theodicy that we've seen, that we saw earlier in, in so many different forms. One is Rev Amnon Bazak, a student of, of Rev Lichtenstein. We're not going to read through this at length, but he essentially summarizes and applies Rev Lichtenstein's approach here, that we need to have some humility and the idea of knowing exactly why things happen is inappropriate. And in the time of crisis, the way to respond is by repenting. Uh, again, I didn't quote the line before from the Rav. The Rav said uh, that Ace uh, Sara is a Mechaev of Tshuva. Right? A time of crisis requires us to repent, but it doesn't mean that we know why we are, we are suffering. So that's one example. The Jewish press on, on this side of the Atlantic quoted a couple of uh, rabbis, Gideon Rothstein and uh, uh, Simon Jacobson, who each, who each gave some arguments as to, you know, the question was whether we should look for gematrias relating to coronavirus. So, you know, there's essentially there's two different issues. One is, are gematrias looking, searching for gematrias a good idea uh, in general, and does it really work? And if you think you have a reason at all, is that a good idea to publicize or look into it? Um, and, you know, they both critique this idea of looking for gimmicks and shortcuts. Presumably, there's also some opposition with the overwhelming, the, over, the overly broad explanation as to why suffering is happen, happening. And this, this piece coming out of uh, a bit more of the Haredi world in the Sarich Iyun journal, um, online journal, so sort of the uh, open-minded Israeli Haredi world, that uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Ruben, Ruben Leichter says, I will not be joining the choir of voices that present a specific cause for the troubled time we experience, right? I'm not going to tell you the specific reason. Lashon Hara, Shabbos violation, breaches in modesty, internet use. I'm not going to give you a reason. I'm going to explain why it's actually inappropriate to find the reason. And he makes the point that there's a correlation here between the physical, and he's trying to, he's himself is looking for symbolism. He says there's a, diff, there's a correlation between physical and spiritual aspects of, of the plague. People are very scared of the plague. It doesn't affect young people as much. Um, and it's a way of showing that there's a limit to human advancement, right? Meaning as much as we think we've advanced, it only goes so far. And it's a way of Hashem showing us yadi is incorrect, that it's not human, it's not human accomplishment that have led to what we did. And you can't, there's no foolproof way of avoiding it, not through science and not through giving tzedakah. Sometimes, uh, sometimes there's nothing we can do. Sometimes we have no way of transcending uh, and, and uh, avoiding the suffering. So here, he, uh, or Leuchter, connects these two points of both the question of uh, retributionist theology, theodicy, the way of, of saying uh, all, all, we know, we can figure out exactly which sin caused the suffering that he disagrees with. And he also disagrees with this idea of schoolos or ways of, of, of uh, controlling and stopping the disease. We can't do that. And that's actually the whole point. The whole point of this disease is to realize human limitation and human weakness. And to try to say, oh, I know how we can overcome the disease it, with, with some school or otherwise is actually missing the entire point here. And he talks about how this calls us to tefillah, again, parallel to this idea of, of uh, being a mechaiv tshuva. Here he's saying a crisis is, uh, triggers the obligation to pray and to pray in a special, in a special way, in a way based on imuna, on, on putting all of one's trust in God and not claiming to have any magical solution, but saying, this is out of my hands there. I mean, obviously he's not saying, he would obviously endorse people taking the health precautions, but there are some limits. There's no magical way of saving ourselves. And uh, we do what we can uh, individually and collectively. But at the end of the day, this is the point of this is to show us, is for us to reflect on our limitations. And again, he's not saying why it happened. He's saying the proper response uh, to coronavirus in that, in that vein. Um, you know, we saw, it in, we saw this approach in the uh, modern Orthodox world, in the Haredi world, also, uh, Chabad, they, on, on their website, had a, a nice article, six things you can do about coronavirus. So again, not, not explaining it, but what can you do about it? How do we respond? And really a mix of a few different things. Follow health guidelines. Um, so that's 
very much a rationalist consideration. Uh, know someone in quarantine, reach out. Mitzvah chesed, supporting people in isolation. Check your mezuzah. So there's a little skula uh, of sorts thrown in here too, right? That uh, the argument is if the, if the mezuzah is puzzled, that might lead to one being, uh, being uh, more, more at risk. That's the argument. Have faith, not fear. The mitzvah of amunah, giving charity, tzedakah, and be infectious, which a uh, little plan words, um, to be positive, to have a positive attitude in supporting others. So I think this, this just shows how sometimes you can mix together different approaches. Some skula, some responding, uh, responding, with, uh, responding to suffering or crisis as an opportunity to grow oneself uh, without necessarily knowing the way of, of stopping it. Sometimes they can co- these can coexist within a single, a single source. Um, another, another example, this in the uh, Sephardi Haredi world, um, that uh, Aryeh Derry, a member of Knesset, the head of Shas, um, he went on the record as saying 70% of those who have coronavirus in Israel are Haredim. This is as of about a month ago. Uh, that 70% of those who got coronavirus were Haredim. And he says, Sari Cheshbon Nefesh. He says, we need a, you know, we can, you can give all sorts of rationalist explanations. Yeshtanu has Beirim, Purim, Bate Knesset, Chatunot, Akal Nachon. It's true. You know, Purim, we all got together. We got each other sick. In Shul, it's, it's, it, it spreads more at weddings. Those are all explanations of Amitzat Sheni, Tired Godel Hanes. You know, on the one hand, you know, and and still we've been saved uh, relatively, uh, relatively uh, compared to what could have happened. But in Israel, as opposed to the rest of the world, uh, but but he says that uh, number one, we need to think about what you know, do a Cheshbon Nefesh, evaluate ourselves. Presumably, he means religiously as to why Charedim did get sick at greater rates. Although at the same time, to appreciate that God protected at least the Charedim in Israel. Um, who were less affected than uh, than Haredim in, in, let's say, America. So again, uh, this idea of, of cheshbon nefesh, cheshbon nefesh, uh, in response to crisis, rather than having a specific reason or knowing or blaming other people to think about how how one might uh, self-reflect and grow themselves. And again, that's also mixed in mixed in with uh, you know with uh, some attempt to understand what's happening. Rav Shlomo Aviner, also in the Chardal the Haredi uh, Datilumi world has sort of has uh, exp- went in two different directions on this issue. On the one hand, he, he, he said, what about, you know, what, there are different explanations for Corona. Why, you know, why did coronavirus happen? He said, no one knows why we, why coronavirus happened. And he, he quotes, you know, he quotes the Gemara we saw that uh, suffering happens. Uh, if, if suffering happens, um, you should, you know, should you try to, to uh, blame someone, that seems to be a mistake to blame someone. We should never blame other Jews and, and uh, criticize their actions. He says, God doesn't like it when people criticize his children. That's not the right way to go. He even quotes the, uh, the Sanza Rebbe on coronavirus, which is a great line. Some people blame this disease on various reasons. These are other reasons. We have a tradition from my father, one of our main principles. We don't look for other people's shortcomings. It's not other people's. We don't blame what happened on other people's sins. Definitely now when we're looking for mercy, we shouldn't be looking to blame other people. We shouldn't look for other people's blemishes. We shouldn't establish the committee for finding fault in others. Everyone should look for their own shortcomings. Everyone should do tshuva on their own, and that's, that's the proper approach. So that's one, one thing that he's got on the record of saying. On the other hand, he also pointed out, and this is not a direct contradiction, it's sort of a different emphasis, um, but it did, it did stir up a bit of a firestorm. In every evil, there's some good. Where is the good in Corona? Almost all of non-Jewish culture is shut down. Academia, the, this, the educational uh, authority in Israel, uh, you know, the, the culture of wasting time, traveling outside of Israel, these are all shut down. All of these terrible things are shut down. And obviously, you got some pushback for that. Um, but if you wanted to be strict about it, he's not saying this is the reason for coronavirus. He's just trying to find some of the, something positive in his view that comes out of it. Um, and one final case of, I guess, a sort of mix of the two approaches from a very different realm uh, from uh, Roy Pinto, who's a uh, Kabbalist, all sorts of complicated 
complicated stories in his past, but um, has has a certain has a large following in Israel. And he says, "What's happening today? What's happening today is like a flood." Uh, it's on the same scale as the flood, as the flood in the Torah. And he he says a few different things. Um, what do you do if you want to protect yourself from the plague? Make sure to say because Aaron in, in Sefer in Sefer use the Torahs, the incense, to avoid the plague. So say Pitamaktoras, say hundred brachos a day. That should hopefully avoid the plague. And then he throws in at the end also, you should also uh, defend yourself physically follow the guidelines of the health ministry because, uh, you know, in a time of crisis, you may be punished even if you don't deserve it. You may get, get uh, you may die even without deserving it, so you should be careful in that way. Uh, one final approach, and this is sort of maybe the most interesting connection between the two, from Natan Slifkin, who's a famous uh, rationalist, uh, formerly Haredi, a believer in science, and uh, you know he's got, gotten gotten a lot of pushback from the Haredi world over that in the past. Um, so, so he says, you know, the Rambam. He's a different spin on the Rambam. He says the Rambam is a rationalist, doesn't think there's any spontaneous reward and punishment, um, right? There's no. It's not like you do something wrong, God zaps you from heaven. That's not the way to think about it. Rather, mitzvot are the path to intellectual, moral, and social perfection, and I'll be wrote to detract from that. Right? The mitzvot, belief in God, and all the other commandments are organized to help you optimize your life. To be the best person you can be, you follow the mitzvos. Um, and in this case, that actually explains things very well. It doesn't require any special insight to see what the world is, is uh, relying on, what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. Medical science, that's the main factor here. And the people, uh, people who ignore science are actually, that's what's, that's what's endangering them. The people who are following science are staying, uh, are staying safe and he quotes the line, knowing what's going to happen, foresight is an important part of wisdom. And those who had the foresight and the proper trust in, in science to follow the guidelines to, to protect themselves early are saved. Those who are not, are not. So interestingly, this is um, it's basically claiming there's a reason for those who were punished. The reason is they didn't follow these uh, medical guidelines, which God would want us to do based on the Rambam's approach to medicine and rationalism, and those who didn't follow those guidelines are punished, but in a naturalistic way. But of course, that's his argument. The Rambam, all punishment is naturalistic. That's, that's arguable, but that's his view. And uh, so it makes perfect sense. Those who followed the health guidelines or, you know, or even were a bit, uh, a bit ahead of the curve on that are saved, and the ones who don't are not. So to summarize, and there's really a lot, a lot of material here, but there's two large-scale approaches. One, retributionist. Anytime someone sin, someone suffers or dies, there was a sin behind it. And we can point to it, we can figure out what it is, we can stop it. And on the other side, and, and on the other side, once you're suffering, there are schoolos, there are various activities one can take, uh, you know, as a form of theurgy to sort of uh, help God avoid punishing us or avoid, uh, help us avoid the plague. On the other hand, there's the responsivist approach, which says we can't know exactly why things happen. What we do know is that the experience of suffering is supposed to stir a responsive tshuva. That's that's the way we're supposed to, to respond. And that much we do know, but we can't, we can't point to what happened that, that, that made us uh, sick. We can point to what we need to do going forward, not a metaphysic, but an ethic, as, as Ray Salvechik put it. And people who follow this have come out and opposed those who give all these explanations. And then some people seem to integrate the two in, in interesting ways. Um, so I'll take questions in a minute, but uh, just we'll end with the, with the bracha, with the, with the hope uh, and blessing that, uh, that we, uh, you know, that things continue to improve and we hopefully won't see uh, future, uh, future disease and future uh, pain and suffering. But, uh, uh, but uh, and to the extent that we do, we should make sure to respond as, as properly uh, as possible. Now, uh, let's see if there were questions in the chat. Um, Let's see, how do different models of theodicy map out onto attitudes towards liturgy or adaptations to liturgy for times like these? Um, so that's from John Moses, and thank you for that. I haven't seen too much on that now in terms of new, new uh, liturgy, new, new tefillos, new prayers. Um, I haven't seen too much, I, but, but maybe it's out there. One thing that's interesting, the, the birchas habayis, the prayer for the house that uh, some people have hanging on their walls, and there's like a, I think, Miami Voice Choir song about it. I think was originally introduced during a pandemic. 
uh, during, you know, whatever it was, 100, 150 years ago, during a, a massive, or at least an epidemic, a massive disease, someone came up with Birch Zabayis, an extra prayer, you put it on your wall to help, help protect against you, and maybe read it. Um, so that's one. And obviously, people talk about saying Pitta Maktara, saying 100 brachos, but those are, you know, those are things that exist, that they're saying to emphasize, those aren't really new, uh, new liturgies. Um, but in terms of attitude towards liturgy, obviously, the more one thinks that schoolos can work, the, you know, your, the, the attitude towards prayer is that it's more, it's the sort of thing that can force God's hand as opposed to the, th the sort of thing that's meant for self-growth and meditation more. But of course, that's, you know, that, there's a spectrum. There's middle positions there too. Um, other questions. I think I responded to some other questions about why versus what that we, we saw from Rabbi Soloveitchik. Um, any, any further questions? Anyone here in the chat? If not, uh, we can end again. Apologies for the for going long, and uh, we should all uh, merit to no longer have to to worry about these these challenges, these questions of theodicy.